0: weeks ago, we looked at the importance of God's word and what effect the word of God has in our lives. And in this case, it was the Israelites hadn't been following God's laws. And so as they started to read those first book, five books of the Bible, the Old Testament as we call it, they began to see that they had really been blowing it. And so they, uh, they we, They decided to repent because of everything that they had read, and then they uh, fell down on their faces. They started following after God's law, and so for us, what we learned is how important it is because without the word of God, we're not equipped for what we need to do in this life. We don't know what God expects of us, and so... We can't neglect the Word of God. It is a most important thing that God can use to instruct us. And we must be diligent, just like the people of Israel, we must be diligent to be in the Word of God so that we have that instruction from God and how important that is because he doesn't want us floundering out there. He wants us to know those things which can cause us to stumble. And fall, and he does this because he loves us, not because he wants to ruin your fun, but because he wants us to be uh, joyful and have a life filled with peace. And so now that they've repented, they found out what they were supposed to be doing, now they need to know what godly repentance truly looks like. And so before we get into our scripture tonight, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you are patient with us. Just like you were patient with the children of Israel, you will be patient with us, and I am so thankful. And as we go through this amazing scripture where we learn about what the Israelites did, how they reacted to the word of God, your word, Lord, in their lives, that they were truly repentant. And so help us to know exactly what that looks like. And so we love you, Lord, we thank you, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 1. And it says I'm going to be reading out of the New King, excuse me, the New Living Translation and it says on October 31st the people assembled again and this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. So I was curious is there anything special about the October 31st and not at all so sorry (laughs) but what was it was just talking about you know on this day this happened so that's all it was but it did say that they dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads now this is something that yeah (laughs) can you imagine Now, most of you know what burlap is, right? It's that really scratchy stuff. It's actually made from jute, and jute is actually made from plants. And so, it's just plant fibers that have been pounded and woven into threads, and then they make, uh, you know, like gunny sacks out of it and that kind of thing. It's kind of been popular recently with, with weddings and stuff and, you know, people using jute for decoration and stuff like that, but you'd never want to wear it, right? I mean, can you imagine how itchy that would be? That stuff was miserable, and also, there was two different kinds of burlap in those days, okay, so you had the one made out of plants, which was really itchy, and then you had the one that the richer people wore, and it was made out of goat hair. Now, if you know anything about goats, have you ever petted a goat at a petting zoo? Don't they have like the most coarse hair and it's like you it's almost itchy just just petting them, right? And so they would make burlap also out of goat hair. And they would use the dark-haired goats to make it. So they're looking for something that would be completely miserable to wear. It would be like the worst kind of wool you can ever think of, right? And so they do this to show their repentant hearts. So if you've ever heard of the term sackcloth and ashes, that's where they got it from. It was from this the Israelites, and how they repented. So in biblical times, someone wanting to show his or her repentant heart would often wear sackcloth. Now that doesn't mean that I want to see you ladies in sackcloth and ashes on Sunday because you've blown it this week and you've sinned. No, we don't have to do that. Our sins are forgiven just by asking But sometimes they would even sit in the ashes and put ashes on top of their head. Now, ashes signified a desolation or ruin. It's like they are so sorry, they feel horrible about what they have done. And so this is what the people did after the word of God was read. They found out that they had been greatly sinning against God and they wanted to show true repentance. So... This is often used in the Old Testament whenever the children of Israel or other peoples were trying to show God that they were truly repentant. Um, One of the stories that you're probably very familiar with, and that is the story of Jonah, remember God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nivea because they are really bad people, and I want you to go, and I want you to tell them to repent, and you remember what Jonah said? No, 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 I ain't going there. I don't like those people. They're mean, and so he hopped on a ship and decided to escape, and a storm came. He fell, or they threw him out um, of the The boat and a whale swallowed him, and then he gets barfed up. You know, that whole story, right? So then he ends up in Nineveh anyway, after all that. And so God says, tell him to repent. And he was still grumbling about that. But he went to the people of Nineveh, and he said, please. God said, repent. Otherwise, he's going to destroy your city. So what did they do? They confessed their sins. They wore sackcloth and ashes. And they even dressed their animals in sackcloth. They they figured, you know, what can it hurt um, they said, who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And the rest is history. God heard their prayers. He saw the repentance. Even, you know, forgave their goats and stuff who were wearing their sackcloth and ashes. You know, they figured. <laughs> I, it's just the scene that went in my head was all their dogs are dressed up in sackcloth and, and their cats, you know, and I'm just going, wow, that's where my mind goes. But anyway, um, They figured, we want to show God. And so this is what now the children of Israel are doing. They are showing God that we are truly repentant, and they were wearing sackcloth and ashes. Verse 2, those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners, and as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. So you remember what one of their greatest sins were, and that was they were marrying people. Uh, people outside of the faith, they were marrying pagan wives and pagan husbands, and God told them not to do that, and so now they have separated themselves out, and they they continue on in verse three. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord, their God, was read aloud to them. Then, for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord their God. So here they are with ashes on their heads in these really, really itchy, itchy clothes for three hours in the hot sun. They took a break and then came back for another three hours. So no more complaining about the hour on Sunday, right? <laughs> right? So anyway, uh, they were showing again how repentant they were. We are so sorry. We are going to basically die to ourselves that's kind of what they were doing, similar to what God asked us to do today. You know, we're supposed to die to ourselves. We're not supposed to be self-centered. We're supposed to be him-focused and others-focused. So they did no manner of work on this day. They fasted, and they spent the whole time just listening to the word of God and, and repenting of their sins. They began in the morning and continued until evening. So what does this mean? That we need to also have that heart of repentance, of truly saying, God, I am so sorry for what I have done. And whichever way God has asked you to do it, and he's not going to ask you to wear sackcloth and ashes, but he just wants you to have a truly repentant heart. So we just remember that. So we don't have to wear, you know, ashes on our head or anything, you know, because that would really itch. But, um, you know, Jesus, when he came and died for us, all is forgiven just by asking for forgiveness. You remember what 1 John 1, 9 tells us? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not saying, I want you to put ashes on your head or wear sackcloth or anything like that all you have to do is ask for forgiveness and because he took the punishment for your sin that means we no longer have to have punishment the people of Israel in a sense that was kind of punishment for their sins but now that we're in that age of grace because Jesus has come and died for us we don't have to go through this we just ask for forgiveness and he forgives us Continuing on in verse 4, the Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Camille, Shabaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and kenani oh, I stuttered on that one, I've been practicing these, stood on the stairway of the Levites and cried out to the Lord their God with loud voices. And so when all the repenting was done, they cried out to God in loud voices. They were probably saying, yes, finally, we are free from all this, this sin that we have committed. And they were no doubt praising him for his mercy. And then verse 5 says, then the leaders of the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabiniah, Sherabiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and... Pathaniah, do you hear a lot of Nias on there? Called out to the people, stand up and praise the Lord your God, for he gives, excuse me, for he lives from everlasting to everlasting. Then they prayed, may your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. So up until now, they'd been down on their faces with their ashes on their head, in their itchy clothes, and now they are standing and they're praising God. Then verse 6 says, you alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserve them all and the angels of heaven worship you. So now they are acknowledging who their God is. And we need to follow that example. It's so important that we acknowledge who God truly is. He is your creator he created you in his image. He created the whole universe. This is the God that loves us. I mean, that should be like mind blowing to us. But sometimes we just kind of take it for granted, don't we? Yeah, you know, my dad's the creator of the universe, you know. But, you know, we need to be mindful of who he truly is and that he is mindful of you. That's amazing. And so now they begin this dialogue of all the wonderful things that the Lord Lord had done for them and their ancestors. And it appears that what happened was they began to read the Torah and they received like a history lesson. And all the things that God had done for them had been revealed. And so verse 7, they start to recount that. He says, you are the Lord God who chose Adam and brought him from Ur of the Chaldeans and renamed him Abraham. Verse eight, when he had proved himself faithful, you made a covenant with him to give him and his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Gergashites. And you have done what you promised for you are always true to your word. They acknowledge that, wow, God, you were always true to your word. Your promises are still standing. Even though we were faithless, you have been faithful. And I love reading what the hearts of the people were expressing. Basically, they're acknowledging that God has always been faithful and they have not. And now they go into this long list of what God has done for them. And I like to call them the you statements. Verse 9 says, you saw the misery of our ancestors in Egypt, and you heard their cries from beside the Red Sea. And so now they're recounting that time when Pharaoh released the Jews, and then he changed his mind, and then he sent his army after them. You remember that story? And now they're, they're right there on the edge of the Red Sea. Verse 10 goes on to say, "'You displayed miraculous signs and wonders "'against Pharaoh and his officials and all his people, "'for you knew how arrogantly "'they were treating our ancestors. "'You have a glorious reputation.'" That has never been forgotten. So you remember what happened when Moses would go in and he would say, let my people go, and he would show them all sorts of signs. He turned the the Nile River into blood and the plague of frogs and the gnats and all those things. That's what they're, they're reading here in the Torah. And they're going, wow, God, you did all of these things. And then verse 11 tells us, you divided the sea for your people so they could walk through on dry land. And then you hurled their enemies into the depths of the sea. They sank like stones beneath the mighty waters. And so we all know that story. So Moses lifts up his hands and God parts the Red Sea. The children of Israel walk through on dry land when they get to the the end of it, they see the Egyptian army is now coming hard after them and they're in they're going through the parted sea, and then what did God do? He closed it and they all drowned. And here's one of my favorite pictures. This is a picture of a chariot. Now this part right here, you know this white, that's kind of they they were showing what it looked like. And so what that is, is a chariot wheel turned on its side. And remember, it's been thousands and thousands of years. And so why, the reason why it's all bumpy and crusty looking is because coral has grown on it. Now you're saying, well, how come it didn't dissolve? Why didn't the, the wood and the metal rust? Well, that wasn't what was left. The wood did eventually dissolve but the Egyptians like to build their chariots out of gold gold does not dissolve in seawater just a little his little lesson for you there but the reason why I bring it up is because this proves that that story is true and they found it right where they thought the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea so now they're finding all these chariot wheels and signs of a great Big army that, I mean, they found all sorts of artifacts down there. And so it just helps us, like, wow, that is so cool. That helps us in our faith when we find out that history backs up what our Bible tells us. Amen? So continuing on, verse 12. You led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night so that they could find their way. God led them on their journey through the wilderness. I wish I had a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night sometimes. You know, I would have loved to have that kind of direction, you know, for my personal walk. You know, I'd go, oh, God, I wished, you know, I had what the Israelites had. But keep in mind that even though they had this kind of guidance, they still kind of forgot all the things that God had done for them. But now God gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us instead of that cloud by day and that pillar by night. Then verse 13 says, you came down at my Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and instructions that were just and decrees and commands that were good. So you remember when Moses, he goes up onto the, the mountain and God gives him the Ten Commandments? That's what they're talking about here. So we're talking about the actual Ten Commandments that God had given them. And then verse 14, you instructed them concerning your holy Sabbath, and you commanded them through Moses, your servant, to obey all your commands, decrees, and instructions. So that's what the Ten Commandments were all about. God says, this is what I expect from you. you know, and he gave us those Ten Commandments that we still cherish today. Verse 15 says, you gave them bread from heaven... When they were hungry and water from the rock, when they were thirsty, you commanded them to go and take possession of the land and the land you had sworn to give them. So they, were, they started to get hungry. They ran out of the food that they had taken from Egypt, and God gave them manna. And then when they were thirsty, Moses just had to strike a rock and water would come forth. That's what they're talking about. They're like, wow God you did all these things to take care of our ancestors you know they're probably wondering how did we ever stray so far from our from our God so it looks also like they were focused on the book of Exodus at this point because all these things were in the book of Exodus then verse 16 tells us our but our ancestors were proud and stubborn and they paid no attention to your commands so Humankind has not changed much in, what, 4,000 years. We're still stubborn. We're still proud. And sometimes we don't pay any attention to God's commands. And it's important to note that he gives them for our own good. And that's so important to always remember. Everything, when he says no... It's because he knows that whatever we're going to get her involved in and he says no that means it could hurt you and he wants us to live a fruitful life but they soon forgot everything god had done for them you know their rescue from the egyptians the parting of the red sea the manna for food the water from rocks and they even had quail that they hadn't mentioned there they got kind of tired of the manna and they said, oh, we want something else. So what does God do? Because he loves them. He sent them quail, little birds like chicken, you know, that they could, they could eat. But most importantly, they did. They forgot. They forgot God's commands. Verse 17 then goes on to say, They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you had done for them. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry, rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them. Amen. Isn't that amazing? That just kind of shows us the heart of who God is, that he is so patient. And this should give you hope because this is our story. We do all of this. We do this. But he is still rich in mercy, slow to anger. And he loves us. He will not abandon us. And as hard as it is to believe that all the things, after all the things God had done for the Israelites, they forgot this. They even forgot how bad it was in Egypt where they were slaves. They're going, oh, we want to go back. You know, in Egypt, you know, we had homes, and now we're living in tents, you know. Of course, their homes were these, you know, little rock caves and stuff but they were slaves they were slaves they were beaten they were mistreated and yet they wanted to go back they were missing they uh in in exodus it tells us that they told moses well we miss the onions in the leeks. so you want to go back to slavery so that you can have onions oh come on you know but they did they forgot And nonetheless, God, who is rich in mercy and forgiveness and grace and really, really patient, he did not abandon them, even though they had abandoned him. So today's title is Godly Repentance. And this is what we see the Israelites doing. So let's look at the steps that they took. The first one was they read about what God commanded, and they were convicted of of sin and they and they repented and this is the conviction of sin that leads us personally to that salvation experience and they recognize their sinful behavior see when the holy spirit you know speaks into our lives he convicts us of our sin and he tells us we need a savior (coughs) In Acts three eighteen through 19, it tells us, But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. In other words, God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus suffered and died on the cross, and that has happened. He says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So what were they converted to? Well, for us, we are now a child of God. We have been cleansed. We are now a new creation, a true believer in the Savior, the Messiah. And this is what happened to the Israelites when the Torah was read. And God does the same thing for us when he reveals himself to us and we repent of sin. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. That is his job. He is the helper. Jesus, when speaking of the Holy Spirit, said this in John 16, 8. He says, and when he has come, the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's his job. So all of us who have received Christ, the reason why we did is because the Holy Spirit spoke into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and said, This is true, you need to repent, and you're going, oh my goodness, yes, I do. And for those of you who remember your salvation experience, it is something that is overwhelming, isn't it? And so this is kind of what the children of Israel were going through. It was just overwhelming. It's like, wow, we need to correct this. And so they did, and we likewise need to do that. So let's see what happens next. We saw them regenerated. They now became a a godly people instead of a godless people. Webster's Dictionary says this about regeneration. It means formed or created again. That's interesting. Spiritually reborn or converted. Restored to a better, higher, or more worthy state. Don't you love that? See, we have been regenerated. So when we receive Christ, this is what happens to us. We are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Titus 3, 4, and 5 tells us, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So unlike the Israelites, we do not have to make sacrifices because Jesus was that final sacrifice. And oftentimes people say, well, why did they have to kill a lamb or a sheep or a dove? Why did God require that? Because God wanted to see that sin has consequences. When you disobey God, he says, It has a consequence and in this case they had to take an innocent animal and slaughter it and it was an ugly messy thing to do and he's saying that is the cost of your sin and it was foretelling of when the Messiah would would come and then he would be sacrificed so our regeneration comes through God's mercy God's washing and God's renewing through the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is. That is what is inside each one of us who names the name of Jesus Christ. And notice that it is God that is doing all these things. Not us. This is God that's doing it. Our job is to surrender to him and to receive him. And then God does all this regeneration. Our next step, surrender to his lordship. In other words, allow God to do that work in you. And this can be such a difficult step for most of us because, you know what, we want to maintain control. But God's saying, you know what, just surrender. Give it up. I created you. I know exactly what you need to make you happy. So don't worry about it. I want only the best for you. But it's like, we just hang on so tight. I remember early in my faith, I wanted to hang on to control so tightly. And it wasn't until I finally just said, okay, God, you can do whatever you want with my life that, wow, exciting things began to happen. You know, my life changed from one of strife to joy and peace, that's what God promises to do and he, he will continue to do that even when you are resistant you know if he has to take baby steps with you he will but what does Philippians 1 6 tell us being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ in other words he will continue to work in your heart turning you into his image he wants us to be just like Jesus Because he knows that's where we will be the most fulfilled. Remember what the Israelites did? They wanted to know everything about the Lord after that. They wanted to know how to please him. And they knew that that was how they would be changed from a people of disobedience to a people who is pleasing to God. It's the same for us. But we must also do our part. And of course that... Main part is just surrender. God cannot change us if we're not completely surrendered to him. He can change, like I said, with baby steps, but it'll be such a long, arduous process. Sometimes I'll talk to ladies and they express their frustration with their lack of growth in their lives. And to me, it is so simple. Um, They've kind of pulled away from the power source. They don't want to be plugged into him, so to speak. Uh, about eight years ago, uh, the community that I le- lived in, a big f- wildfire went through. And I, it, it burned down. I think when everything was said and done, our little town of 5,000 people, uh, 240 homes had been burnt. And that's a lot. Um, 20 people in our church had lost their homes And, you know, it was a really difficult time. But, you know, God, in his mercy, he saved my home. But all the power lines had been burned. And so there was no power. We had to be evacuated for a couple of weeks. And when they finally let us back in, the power lines weren't anywhere near um, being uh, restored yet. But we had gone in and... I walked over to my refrigerator, and this was early fall late or late summer, and it had been really, really hot, and that's why we had the wildfires. It was hot and windy, Santa Ana winds. And I opened up my refrigerator, and it was the most disgusting thing I think I had ever smelled. Because I had in there milk and eggs, potato salad. We'd gone fishing, so we had fresh trout in there. We had chicken. I mean, and everything. It was the most disgusting thing I think I have ever seen. I mean, everything was just rotten. You know, just gooey, rotten. And why is that? It's because it was unplugged from the power source. So I go, wow, you know what? That is just like us. Sometimes we will unplug from the power source. In other words, we tell God, you know what? I've got this. I don't need your power in my life. I don't need your transforming power in my life. And so they unplug. And so what happens? The insides begin to get rotten and bitter. And things like unforgiveness begin to creep in, doesn't it? And we find ourselves frustrated with our walks because we have been harboring all these things. But the glorious thing about our Lord is that all you have to do is plug back in, and God will clean out all that garbage and put all new stuff in, just like my refrigerator. I let Jeff do it. (laughs) <laughs> it was really bad. So, and then we had a freezer out into, in, in the garage, and I won't even begin to tell you what that was. It was like a pile of goo. But anyway, um, he cleaned that one too. He's such a sweetie. But anyway, don't unplug from that power source. It is so important to stay plugged in. And the way we do that is staying in the word, staying in fellowship, prayer, and surrender. Just say, God, whatever you want to do, I'm going to follow after you. And if his word says, this is what I need to do, then I do it. No matter what. That is the way we stay plugged into him. And we have that life of peace and joy. And then the fourth step, remember God's faithfulness. That's what the people did. They were, they were reading about all the times that Jesus had been faithful, and they said, wow, we need to remember this. We never should forget ever again. And when they read it, they were so thankful. So when we are going through difficult times, remember what God has done for you in the past. For most of us, just that salvation experience where you went from, I used to be this, but now I'm this. That's a miracle. Some of us have actually seen real miracles. The fact that my father is still at home is a miracle because we were told, you know, this this is it, you know. And yet, God... He chose to heal him and keep him going. You know, we've all seen miracles like that in our lives. We need to remember those miracles when we're going through those difficult times. That is so important. It, it helps our faith. So let's look at these steps again. First one, conviction of sin and repentance. In other words, just acknowledge that you're a sinner let God regenerate you. Allow Him to do that work of making you that new creation. Don't resist the process. Surrender to His Lordship. Don't, in other words, don't unplug from the power source. And remember His faithfulness, especially when you're going through those really difficult times. And never forget everything that He has done for you. And remember what godly repentance truly is, and that is. Lord, I have blown it. You don't justify it. You don't put a, but God, you know, at the end. You don't try to give a reason why you were justified in doing whatever you did. Never excuse our bad behavior. Just confess it. And then turn away from it. Truly desire to turn away from it and to repent and have every intention of never doing that again. Will we blow it? Of course. We stumble and fall all the time, don't we? But God is always there because he's rich in mercy and forgiveness. But keep in mind, this is how I look at sin. This is where I will become extremely grievous over my own sin. And it's like, think of the most important person or somebody that you just love dearly in your life. That could be a spouse, that could be a parent, that can be a sibling, that could be a child, a really, really good friend. Now, imagine if, I mean, and that's who God is to us, right? He's all of those things. But imagine that every time you sin, that person that you love is being struck. What would you do? I mean, you would really do everything you possibly could not to sin amen wouldn't if you knew that that person that you love was going to get struck you would do everything you could not to sin so sometimes we just kind of say well you know what God's going to forgive me anyway it's all about grace man no it's you actually that was another lash on Jesus's back so never ever take it flippantly Take it as serious as God says it is. It is really serious business when you sin against him. His grace and his forgiveness is always there because we always blow it, but never take it lightly because you are striking him again. So wrapping up, you know, I'm always amazed in how Christians always live, how some Christians can live in a prison of their own making. That's always amazing to me. Believers, you kind of expect that because they don't know Jesus. They don't have that Holy Spirit. But it is so grievous to my heart when I see people living in unforgiveness or bitterness or just unrepentant sin. They won't surrender because it is like they're in a prison. So remember that. Don't put yourself in a prison. That's exactly what the children of Israel had done. And in this case, it was literal, wasn't it? They were, they were disobedient to God, and then God let them be brought into captivity. Some of us will actually put ourselves into captivity through our own sin and unrepentance. So just remember that God is always there. It doesn't matter how much you've sinned, how bad you've sinned. He knows it already. Just confess it, and let him just wash you completely of that. And just, you know, it's such a peaceful thing to know that your relationship with Jesus has now been restored. There's nothing like it in the world, is it? He wants to restore you. He's waiting to restore you. So never be afraid to go to him and say, God, I have truly blown it. I need to have my relationship with you restored. Amen? I'll leave you with John 15, 1 through 4. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so that they will produce, that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. So if you're a gardener, you totally understand this principle. If you have a flower garden, it's when you cut the flowers back that you get more flowers. If you have fruit trees, it's through the pruning that you get more fruit. So that's what he's talking about here. In this case, he's talking about grapes. says, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me. Remain in me. Jesus is saying, remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So we need to Still stay on the vine. This is so important. We need that, that power from him in order to get through this world. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, this is so much to take in. And Lord, it's kind of a, a heavy subject for, for all of us because we all struggle in these areas. We all are disobedient to you. But thank you so much that you are so forgiving and that you will take us back no matter what. That is what you have promised because you are faithful and you love us. Thank you for dying for our sins, Lord, that we can come to your throne of grace and receive that that healing that only you can give us. And as we discuss this even more in our groups, Lord, would you make your word come alive to these precious ladies here, that they would truly know that they are your child and they can receive the forgiveness and the grace and love that only you can give. And so we love you, we thank you, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.